five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Please. 
כשהביט בעולם, כל גופי נפעם, מחזיק את השמיים ומת מהים. זה בכלל לא מובן, איך אזיז את שתי ידיי, מאשר נתן לי את חיי. בבוקר, איך השמש תרחף מעל הראשי, ובלילה היא נמלטת למקום קומיסטורי, ומי אמר לגלים לעצור ליד החול, ולרוח להמשיך לנשוב, ואף פעם לא נחזור. תודה כשבחוץ יש סערה והכל כל כך מפחיד, עזור לי לא לשכוח שאתה שומר תמיד. לא אסיר את החיוך, גם שקשה בפנים, ואביט ואביט בתום
יש דברים שלא תבין, גם אם תבקש. יש דברים שלא תמצא, גם אם תחפש. ולך הכל גלוי, מהסוף לתחילה. ומה שכבר נגמר, זו רק התחלה.
Not sure what happened there, but <laughs> the the song that was supposed to, in fact, uh, be next for some reason did not, uh, as ZK would say, did not fire properly. JM and the AM, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We're live, New Jersey studio today, and I thank you all for tuning in. Gershon Veroba's Ani Yisrael. You heard Todad done by Yisrael Amar. Shwebel Sharf and Levine had Bimkomcha. Anna Bakoach was done by Yitzchak Fuchs. Yehuda, excuse me, Yehuda Green and Ka Echsof, Lee Shuascha, Ben Sion Klatsko and company. And of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday. It's Erev Shabbos. That's right. January the 5th, day number 24 in the month of Teves. The year is 5784, Tufshin Pei It's Erev Shabbos Parsha Shmos with candlelighting time at 422 in New York. 422 is candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Rosh Chodesh, we will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat is Thursday. You heard our conversation yesterday about what's happening in Nitivot on Rosh Chodesh Shvat, the New Jersey slash Washington Rosh Chodesh special tefillah is heading to um, to Nitivot in Israel near the Gaza border for a special Rosh Chodesh tefillah. I don't know if Listener Morris is going. I don't know if Listener Ralph is going. Uh, but I do know that uh, there are people that are heading there from the U.S. And, of course, hundreds, if not thousands, will be going from different places in Israel to daven early 6 a.m. Thursday morning in the Tivot. And um, yeah, as we described yesterday, Nitivot was a uh, was certainly a target of the enemy on October the 7th. There's no question about that. That we know. Anyway, um, so we bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be Thursday, and that means that two Bishvat's around the corner, which means, of course, that spring is around the corner. <laughs> Try to convince myself as I as I hesitate to, uh, to wear a coat in this weather outside, which is much colder than it has been recently, that's for sure. Anyway, JM in the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Harry Rothenberg, and Rabbi Yudin coming up. Of course, uh, Malcolm Holmline and the weekly update. We'll have that for you. Happening at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM. Um, Kedem presents the Arab Shabbat Show with Mark Zamek at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Matis has announced a special guest for Sunday. Matis is live and can't thank him enough for that. He is live um, every Sunday, which is so amazing. Um, and he's announced, where do I have it? I had the information here a moment ago. Here it is. He's announced that this coming Sunday, his guest will be a creator and Instagram influencer, Hasidic hipster girl, um, Sarah Gigui. I hope I have that pronounced properly. Sarah Gigu. Sarah Gigu. Anyway, she's known as Hasidic Hipster Girl. She's Matis's guest this coming Sunday on JM Sunday. He'll be on the air between 7 and 9 a.m., so make sure to be tuned in for that. It was funny because the other day I'm saying to myself, you know people in Israel, they don't hear JM in the a.m. on Sunday, and it's a regular day for them. And I said, what am I talking about? <laughs> Matis hits the air at 2 p.m. live in Israel every single Sunday. So, yeah. And, and he has a nice crowd out there who's tuned in. So, yes, we are here six days a week, even on Sunday, when um, Israel is experiencing a regular day. And here in the U.S., it's mostly a day off. Not every industry, but certainly mostly a day off. 
and uh, everybody gets a chance to tune in and enjoy, no matter what day of the week it might be. Anyway, um, just uh, happy to point that out uh, regarding what we do here at the NSN. JM in the AM, thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, if you haven't given yet to our 40th anniversary campaign, there's a couple of weeks left to that campaign, fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Thank you. If you haven't gotten around to it yet, please contribute and contribute generously. Hass Concert is coming up Sunday night, which means you can go to HassConcert.com and find out about live stream information. To get a ticket to walk into that arena on Sunday night is basically impossible. Uh, but you, again, you can go to HassConcert.com and you can check out what they have to offer uh, regarding the live stream for Sunday night. If you want to watch it in Israel, I believe it starts at 2 p.m., excuse me, at 2 a.m. Monday morning. There likely will be people waking up early in Israel who are staying up late to watch it, I bet. And um, then Tuesday night, we have the Chibuk event here in New Jersey. Ralph Zucker and Yechi Herzog were on the air earlier this week. If you have not yet placed your reservation, if you have not yet made a donation, go to Chibuk.org. It is five partner, or actually six partnering organizations in Israel that are benefiting from a millions of dollars aggressive campaign to help those who are going to need a tremendous amount of help with housing needs, uh, with basic needs and necessities, with bar mitzvahs and weddings and the victims of terror and their families that are simply going to be in need for the next few years. Um, go to chibuk.org. You'll see all the information there, chibuk.org, and you'll see all the info. All right, so those are some of the things that are going on. We're trying to remind people about all the different efforts that are out there and keep excuse me, keep the bridge between Israel and the diaspora as active as possible. With that in mind, we'll get the latest from a Malcolm Holmline in the 7 o'clock hour. And, um, and uh, hopefully we will uh, continue to focus on praying for our brothers and sisters who are being held by the enemy, our hostages who are now entering their 13th Shabbat of being held by the enemy. I, I can't even imagine, but the less I think about that aspect, the better. But just let's not forget them. Let's remember we need to pray for them and pray for their immediate release. Pray for a miracle from the one above. And, of course, our soldiers who, the group of soldiers that we have sacrificed so far in this war is uh, immense. It's just uh, intense and immense. And uh, those of you out there who... Um, are praying on a regular basis for our, the safety of our soldiers and their schools and organizations and groups that are conscious about uh, saying the Mishaberach for soldiers and keeping them in mind and learning for them and saying to Hillim for them and waking up and thinking about them in the morning. Kolakavod, let's keep that going. JM in the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. More coming up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Oh, I have to. We're, we're actually using a. Um, we're actually using a different microphone system. That's a little bit better, right? I think that's less distorted. All right. Uh, you're Achmiel Begun, Miami Boys Choir. Plenty more coming up. Good morning. It's JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. with Ari Goldwag. Lonafsik is the uh, song to wrap up the 6 o'clock hour. Miami with a Never Give Up and Maran Devishmaya. You heard Gershon Varoba and Ani Yisrael. And you are listening to J.M. in the A.M. Good morning, all. Welcome to a Friday era of Shabbos. Candle lighting in New York, 422. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 422 in New York. We'll bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat is going to be on Thursday. Uh, we'll talk more next week about the special Rosh Chodesh Shvat service that's going to be happening in Nitivot in Israel, all initiated by a couple of amazing people here on this side of the world. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, obviously, uh, Sunday night is the Hass concert, completely sold out. Go to hassconcert.com for live stream information. Tuesday night is the Chibuk event here in uh, New Jersey, raising millions of dollars for six partnering organizations, uh, keeping in mind the uh, the the future needs of the families of uh, of victims of um, of Simchas Torah, uh, the future needs, the basic necessities food, clothing, housing, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, weddings, um, education. I mean, they're trying to set up a fund that will be there when people need to turn somewhere to help them out, especially, uh, again, as we said, if their families were affected by the, um, by the events of October 7th, the aftermath, the, uh, the terrible... Uh, the terrible story of the fallen soldiers um, and their families. So uh, that's happening Tuesday night. If you haven't yet donated, go to chibuk.org, C-H-I-B-U-K.org. If you're going to be there, we hope to see you there on Tuesday evening at Bellworks down in Homedale, New Jersey. J.M. and A.M., good morning. Friday morning with uh, Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin coming up on Parsha Shmos. We have Malcolm Holmline in the second hour with the weekly update. Try to go through some of the events of this week. It's like... You don't know where to start when it comes to the conversation about what's happening now, uh, but we'll try to uh, to parse out everything, or at least uh, as many as we can, as many items as we can, at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. And um, Mark Zamek will have the Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's at 10 a.m. Eastern Time this morning right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. So lots going on, plenty happening, and... Keep our brothers and sisters who are being held by the enemy in mind. It's the 13th Shabbat that they are being held. Keep in mind the, um, keep in mind the uh, soldiers of the IDF who continue to do a remarkable job and for whose safety we are concerned and pray. The... Um, the situation is difficult, to say the least, and we need to keep our brothers and sisters in mind. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Kali Tzal, the background, to our news from Israel coming up. And then uh, plenty more, of course, on this uh, Friday morning era of Shabbos. To those who are traveling to Israel, the number of uh, solidarity missions, groups, schools, organizations that are heading to Israel continues to grow, and we encourage that, and we uh, all we could do is continue to encourage it. As people volunteer in Israel, visit uh, the wounded in Israel, visit the communities of Israel, and give whenever they can in a very chesed-like way 
to those in need in Israel. Kolakavod. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next to JM Nam. Galitzal, Shaashtain. Shalom Rav, Baulpani, Honatan Grill, Im Mashakura Shav. ממשלת לבנון התלוננה למועצת הביטחון של האום נגד ישראל בעקבות הריגתו של סגן מנהיג חמאס סלח אל ארורי בביירות. בתלונה נכתב כי התקיפה הראה באזור אוכלוסייה אזרחית בדרום בירת לבנון וסיכנה את התעופה האווירית בשמי ביירות. לבנון מזהירה מפני התגברות המתיחות והתפרצות מלחמה כוללת ודורשת ממועצת הביטחון לגנות את ישראל ולהפעיל עליה לחץ להפסיק את התקיפות בשטחה. כתבנו לענייני ערבים צ'קי חוגי מוסיף כי מזכ"ל חיזבאללה נסראללה צפוי לשאת היום נאום בפעם השנייה תוך יומיים. חיל האוויר תקף עמדת תצפית ותשתיות טרור של חיזבאללה בדרום לבנון. בעזה, לוחמי צוות הקרב החטיבתי 646 ויהלום חיסלו מחבלים והשמידו פירים רבים בשכונת המגדלים במרכז הרצועה. הכוחות איתרו אמצעי לחימה רבים, נשקי צלפים, משגרי RPG, אקדחים ורובים. כמו כן, הושמדו מבנים ממולכדים, עמדות תצפית ומטענים. הנה דברים שאמר סגן אלוף ארז, מפקד גדוד 8105. סמוך לבית הספר, לאחת השכונות, הכרנו פיר אקטוטי אסטרטגי. הפיר עצמו הוא פיר עמוק, עשוי מבטון, מאפשר תנועה של כוחות והתקפה על כוחותינו. הפיר יושב למעשה במרחב אזרחי לחלוטין. יש פה מפעל של מנהור מבטון. שבעצם יושב מתחת לבית ספר שמשמש לו ככיסוי. מדבר אביבי, כתבנו הצבאי דורון קדוש. חשד לרצח בבאקה אל-גרבייה. גבר בן 60 תושב העיר נורה למוות במכוניתו. צוותי מגן דוד אדום קבעו את מותו במקום. כתבתנו הדס שטייף מוסרת כי נסיבות האירוע נחקרות. אישה בת 60 נפצעה אנוש מהתהפכות רכב בכביש 436 סמוך לגבעת זאב. צוותי מגן דוד אדום מבצעים בפעולות החייאה ומעניקים טיפול רפואי לשניים מנוסעי הרכב שנפצעו קל. ידיעה שהעבירה כתבתנו בבירה נועה ברנס. מזג האוויר תחול ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות בעיקר בהרים ובפנים הארץ, צפויים גשמים מקומיים בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה. ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת שמות, שבת מברכים לחודש שבט. בירושלים בארבע ותשע דקות, בתל אביב בארבע וחצי בדיוק, בחיפה בארבע ושבע עשרה, ובבאר שבע תיכנס השבת בארבע שלושים ושתיים. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר, בירושלים בחמש עשרים ותשע, בתל אביב בחמש וחצי, בחיפה בחמש עשרים ושמונה, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בחמש שלושים ואחת. לכל מאזינינו שבת שלום, אלה החדשות.
be safe to say those are a couple of classics from Rabbi Shlomo. Ms. Morshir, Leoma Shabbos, followed by Rav Ravin here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmos. Erev Shabbos, Mevarachim. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh will, please God, be on Thursday. Rosh Chodesh again, please God, on Thursday. Keep that in mind. The uh, New Jersey slash Washington Rosh Chodesh musical service moving to Nitty vote this coming thursday as we mentioned yesterday we'll talk more about that next week i don't know which listeners who attend here in the united states are going to be going next week in israel but there will be hundreds if not thousands of people there that i can guarantee you in what is going to prove to be a very meaningful and inspirational tefillah and we'll talk more about it next week before it actually takes place here on jm in the am harry rothenberg's words are presented uh as a schus very refuschlema for Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. As we continue to pray for her full and speedy recovery. Ruchama Chana Etel. Oh, one second. Ruchama Chana Etel Bas Chava. Harry Rothenberg with words about Parsha Shmos on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. I was in Israel last week, and while I was there, I went to an army base with some friends for a barbecue for Israeli soldiers. The event was set up by a longtime friend, the one and only Jeff Seidel. We didn't go to just any army base. We went to the base that all the soldiers used before heading into Gaza. The Israeli army built a mini Gaza. We took a tour with the commander of the base, showing us all the different types of buildings that are made to model and resemble different neighborhoods in Gaza. The soldiers are taught how to spot terror tunnels, how to engage in urban warfare, how to gain access to buildings and then navigate their narrow confines in the dark while looking for tripwires that can set off bombs, how to minimize civilian casualties while looking for terrorists to neutralize, which obviously is incredibly difficult to do while squaring off against an enemy that dresses in civilian clothing and hides behind civilians. While we were there on the tour, we saw soldiers engaged in live action training. We got a sense, a taste, of just how dangerous, how terrifying the job is of the soldiers and how enormous their self-sacrifice is. But what was truly astounding to us was the sensitivity of the soldiers. At the barbecue, they kept coming over to us, thanking us for grilling for them. And we looked at them astonishingly. You're thanking us because we're flipping burgers, because we're grilling for you? You guys are risking your lives, not just to protect Israel, but to protect the Jewish people. You're heroes. We're here to say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Why am I talking about sensitivity this week? Because there's a scene in this week's Parsha that must not go unnoticed. At the burning bush, God taps Moshe to be the leader of the Jewish people, to take them out of slavery, and Moshe demurs. For a week, he argues with God. He says, who am I to go? God says, I'll go with you. He says, they're not going to believe me. God says, I'll send signs. He says, I don't speak well. God says, I'll tell you what to say. Finally, he says, God, send whom you'll send, meaning send my older brother, Aaron. The commentators explain that he was willing to give up the mantle of leadership, willing to delay the redemption, unwilling to go back to Egypt as the new leader. Why? Because he didn't want to take the chance that he'd be stepping on the toes of his brother Aaron. 
and embarrassing him. Now realize, this is not a situation of two brothers who had a lifelong, incredibly close relationship. It's the contrary. Let's remember Moshe's career arc. At three months old, he was placed in the basket in the Nile, discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who returned him to his mother to nurse him. Once he was weaned, presumably at the age of two or three, he was returned to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him. He grew up in the palace. At the age of 20, he killed the Egyptian taskmaster who was brutalizing the Jew. He had to flee as a fugitive to Midian. That was 60 years earlier, he's 80 years old now, which means he has not seen his brother Aaron for over 75 years. And the only relationship they had was until Moshe was only two or three years old. And yet, despite the distance, despite the lack of a lifelong relationship, he's willing to delay the redemption to avoid the possibility of embarrassing his brother. That is extreme sensitivity. He doesn't agree to go until God reassures him and tells him, Aaron's heading to you and he's happy for you that you're going to be the new leader. It's not a coincidence that the exile and the eventual slavery of the Jewish people began due to interactions between brothers who did not get along, Yosef and his brothers. And it's not a coincidence that the eventual redemption came about through two brothers who did get along, Moshe and Aaron. Since October 7th, Jews of all different types have been getting along. Let's hope and let's do our best to make sure that that continues.
in the AM. Zusha with um with Yishai Rebo. Yep, there you go. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Shabbos Mavarchim. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shabbat will be Thursday, as we keep reminding you. It's that big Rosh Chodesh uh, celebration, the musical one going on in the Tivot in Israel this coming Thursday. Um, yeah, so we bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Keep that in mind. And... Um, and get ready for a Thursday Rosh Chodesh. Listener, Cena's out there. I know because it um, it is obvious from my uh, email box that um, she's got a special message for someone in this JM and the AM audience. Here we go. Best wishes for a very happy birthday going out to my daughter, Sarah Fryer of Muncie. Sarah, your cocos and talents never cease to amaze me. It says here, never case to amaze me. I think she meant cease. Never cease to amaze me. I'm constantly in awe of everything you managed to accomplish. Thank you for all the nachas from your wonderful crew. Wishing you a wonderful birthday and fabulous year ahead. With much love from Ima. We know her, of course, as listener Sina, who claims to be back in Florida. Uh, listener Sina is one of those people who's traveling so much without double confirmation. Unless we hear it from two people, we don't know for sure where she is. So one person, she herself, says she's in the sunshine state. We'll have to rely on that for now. More coming up. It's JM and the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in. Malcolm Homeline a few minutes away as we'll do our weekly update here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Um, looking forward to that. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Enjoy a 10% discount on Abel's and Hyman products at kosherdogs.net with Promo code radio. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did, to say the least. Um, and the uh, football season is coming to an end this weekend, which means the playoffs are heating up. Then, of course, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. A&H hot dogs, a basic staple of a big NFL playoff Sundays and, of course, Super Bowl Sunday. That's what they are. So make sure you load up. You have what you need in the house. The hot dogs, the knockwurst, the salami, the buns, the condiments, and you'll be all set. JM in the AM. Bir Chodesh from Leif Tahar as we get set to Bentros Chodesh tomorrow. Here we go at JM in the AM.
Hello. 
We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat will be on Thursday. And as we mentioned yesterday in our conversation with um, Nader Belor and uh, Dr. Joe Rosazada, the the Englewood slash Washington Rosh Chodesh musical service is moving to Nitivot near the Gaza border next Thursday. And I know there are some people planning on going from the United States, which is unbelievable. Uh, but there'll be hundreds, if not thousands, coming from all over Israel to participate. If you want to be part of it, you can just contact us. We'll give you the information. It starts 6, 6 a.m. with, obviously, the intention to um, daven uh, Shimon Esri at sunrise. And, uh, again, we'll have more details this coming week because uh, before they head to Israel, they're going to be joining us here in the studio at JM in the AM. Leif Tahar with Bir Chazachodesh, L'chad done by Zusha and Yishai Rivo. And here we are on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candle lighting 422 in New York, 422 candle lighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Uh, if you haven't given yet to our 40th anniversary campaign, please do so. Go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Please allow us to count you among our supporters again here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and I thank you all for that. And the Matis is coming Sunday on JM Sunday. Matis is live every Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m., which is amazing. He's been doing it for years, and I thank him. This Sunday, he speaks with Hasidic Hipster Girl, a uh, social media influencer. She'll be Matis' guest coming up on Sunday. Again, you'll hear JM Sunday between 7 and 9 a.m. right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Keep in mind our friends at jewishworldreview.com. If you're looking for thousands of articles about Israel and the Jewish world to print out before Shabbos and become even more educated about this complicated situation that the world is in, uh, then uh, simply go to jewishworldreview.com, print away, read away, and enjoy. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He He is with us. Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honeline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be and good that you're back. Appreciate that. We both would prefer to be Jerusalem for Shabbos and Yerushalayim. Yeah, I look forward to the next time we are together. Maybe we could actually do the show together face-to-face. And you said that a Shabbos like this, listen to this, folks. Talk about people gathering to give inspiration. You said that Shabbat, Shabbatot like this, meaning Shabbos Mavarchim, the great synagogue is not only full because on a typical Shabbat it is, and obviously Shabbos Mavorachim even more so, but you said that there's special attention being paid on a Shabbat like this in Jerusalem at the great synagogue to lone soldiers and their families and friends. Tell us what's going on. Every every uh, Shabbos Mavorachim, we have a, a dinner for fr- on Friday nights for lone soldiers, and we invite them, and we invite Balabati, and we invite uh, some yeshiva guys to come, and they mingle with the uh, with the soldiers. It's it's truly a remarkable thing. We have dozens of lone soldiers who come, and uh, they're of, of every stripe of Judaism that you can imagine, and from every place one can think of. And it's so moving, it's so important, and it gives them a, a rock. And during the week, the Great Synagogue provides food to soldiers as do many others, and tries to meet needs and send supplies down to the bases 
And, you know, when you have hundreds of thousands of soldiers in Gaza and in the north, uh, you have to think of them, but you also think of their families yeah. and what their needs are. It's amazing to see the people who, who go. Uh, my friend Mati Friedrich is there every night at, at the Air Force bases and Gaza, sometimes two or three bases in Gaza, providing food, hot food for them and other needs and they, that they identify. The chesed is so amazing from so many sources and so many wonderful people who do this. It's it's truly remarkable. And of course, as you just pointed out, the scene that you're uh, describing is being played out by thousands of people in hundreds of locations around the country and call out a vote to everybody who's participating, especially on a regular basis, as you just described with Shabbos. Mavarchim. So the, the sacrifice, look, it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken. The sacrifice of our soldiers is immense. Uh, people waking up around the world, not just in Israel, but around the world uh, to news of fallen soldiers. And you, and you pray for a day when there's no news like that. And obviously some days are more difficult than others. And we start to question, Malcolm, what will make this sacrifice worth it, so to speak. I don't mean to minimize it, but in a moment, people will understand what I mean. Uh, we have to start thinking, I would assume that you agree, about how this war is going to end. And if, in fact, the rumors that the Israeli government might try to encourage those residents who are now in the south of Gaza to reclaim or move back to the northern part, uh, I, I don't know if it was worth the sacrifice, if that's going to be the end game of this war. Does it look like it's going in that direction? Well, nobody's very clear yet. I'm not sure that the government knows yet what the day after will look like. And I think they shouldn't be pressured into it. Obviously, they have to be thinking about it because the conduct of the war will help shape what the post-war situation will look like. But first of all, they still have the priority of rescuing the hostages. And yesterday, three more names were added to it, just as we learned that uh, some uh, were killed by Hamas. And, um, you know, it's still a shifting situation. Um, but I think that, and we also have to remember when we talk about the number of those who were killed, that there's a multiple of that of who were wounded. Yep. And many of them wounded seriously. You saw the scene at the hotel this week young people in wheelchairs came there and the, the, the amazing dedication and uh, lack of, of uh, anger or, or uh, you know, um, self-pity, these people come there and they, they went into wheelchairs without limbs, with partial limbs, some cases, and, and went to the hotel and expressed thanks for everybody for what they did for them, whereas here people putting their lives on the line for Am Yisrael, not only for Medina Israel. So we have to say whether it's worth it is a question of what you think the objective was. The first thing is we find out how big the infrastructure to have 500 miles of, of underground times 20, 30, 40 feet deep. And, you know, the, the, the uh, walls that they built uh, on Gaza went down and they thought enough to prevent uh, – the tunneling and the digging being uh, to be detected. And yet, in fact, now it went down elevator inside these tunnels, taking people down. It goes so deep and tra and they connect and they uh, had weapons stored there and let alone the terrorists obviously hiding there. 
And the more that they find the weapons, they find constantly, constantly. And you see the the secondary and tertiary explosions indicating that there were weapons and things in these uh, various locations that were hit many, many times civilian homes. So the goal wasn't to depopulate Gaza, it was to remove Hamas and to make sure that they couldn't carry this out after we rescued the hostages and held to account those who engaged in the the worst uh, and most horrendous acts that one can imagine. So I think the the um, second guessing and the you know the speculation that the Secretary of State was there to demand that Israel tell them what the day after will look like. Uh, I think that they can't tell them what tomorrow will look like yet because you have the leadership going through various permutations and they've been successful this week in, in eliminating leaders in of Hamas and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon and in Gaza. Uh, the United States took out the operatives in Iraq. I don't hear anybody saying what's the day after they're going to look like <laughs> because they did the right thing and they, 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 their goal is to remove the terrorists and to go after the leadership and then worry will worry about what the next day you know people have suggested they can move to africa and they move the people to elsewhere those are not realistic solutions and, and especially given the international climate right now but there has to be some a solution that assures that it doesn't happen again based on what israel has discovered in the last three months is the rest of Gaza the same way that the northern part is? Same types of tunnels, same type of infrastructure, same type of uh, locations where, where rockets are stored and rockets are launched. Is the entire region, is the entire strip essentially the same when it comes to that? Or the north is much more the way I just described it in the south? No, the, the, the north has the infrastructure as south. The um, in, in cases also depends on the ground about what you can dig and where you can dig. But but where they found tunnels everywhere, they found the UNRWA schools, the other schools being used. They found homes being used. You know, the, the, I'm, I spoke to soldiers literally in, in Gaza on the front line, and they were telling me that they have to go into every house because virtually every house is either booby trapped, has tunnel entrances in their bathrooms, in their kitchens, has um, weapons stored there. And if, in fact, we're to prevent any kind of acts happening again, they have to really cleanse all of these places. So it's not because they they want to take over the houses or because they're indifferent to the population. If you look at a lot of the pictures, you'll see that many of the buildings are standing, that it's isolated and targeted buildings that are hit. There are areas where they had to flatten because the tunnels collapse and the, and the buildings on top, and that's why they try to depopulate and move the population around. And yeah. when they discover new dangers, they move them again. Yet the media criticizes them. They could easily just carpet bomb the place and they have taken care of a good part of, of Gaza. But that's not how Israel fights. And, and you see it in the north also where everybody's trying to contain the, the war for now. But it doesn't mean you don't strike when you know that there's uh, somebody of, of high value to the to the terrorist operations but, but my point is that there are people in the israeli government and, and you and i have discussed that if only you know people were a little bit quieter and, and said less publicly if it was more like the old days than today but all right that's a separate issue um, but there, there are members who are saying that, uh, that neither the idf nor hamas is going to control gaza i don't know it seems to me that if what you're describing 
is, is, you know, is what's going on there, that if in fact the IDF or the Israelis would control the northern part of Gaza and would insist that any residents who wanted to live in Gaza went toward the south, not expelling them to Egypt or anywhere else that might or might not accept them, that that might be a reasonable conclusion to all of this. Why on earth would members of the government make statements like that, that we are prepared and understand that there's no way we're going to occupy or, or have a presence, a military presence in any part of Gaza once this is over? Well, I think, first of all, that's contrary to the fact. I think that Israel has to retain uh, control, at least in an interim period, until they see if a responsible government, if, you know, past history has taught us the lessons about uh, leaving it to to the to the residents that they're going to ensure there will be a peaceful uh, and one that would just meet their needs. I mean, the people of Gaza aren't happy with this situation either, and and uh, you know there are many people who did not support Hamas and and but they voted for them, and they they civilians who joined in the attack. Yeah. Uh, once once the they had breached the uh, the fence, the security barrier. Yeah. And I think the, you know, first of all, you're raising some serious questions. I, I do believe very strongly that loose lips sink ships and there are too many people talking too much, often giving contradictory comments, often saying things that the government doesn't support, which only enrages the public opinion and the media. And right now, our goal has to be to win the war, not yeah. to build up. We, we see how much opposition there is. We see how much of the media and how many governments have turned against uh, Israel and, in and, fighting and, one of the most just wars imaginable. And while you agree to discuss this now for a second, I know and we all know how close you are with the prime minister, but wouldn't you have preferred if he wouldn't have made a public statement earlier in the week that he has no intention of leaving office? Wouldn't it have been better for the morale of Israel if he would have just kept his mouth shut on that topic? Well, I don't want to talk about each individual person and their comments because you have to know what the internal politics are to know why he, he may have felt it was necessary to do it. Um, but but I think it, it's true that people shouldn't get into the political realm right now. There'll be plenty of time to do that. There will be people will be held to account once this is over right now. Anything that divides the people that that brings back the divisions of old is a disservice to the war, to the soldiers, to the people of Israel, to the state of Israel's future, to the security of Jews. Because look at the worldwide situation. If anybody doesn't understand how important Israel is today, and I hear it everywhere I go, people had no connection or didn't feel the personal connection, certainly does today in ways that they could never have imagined. And the, you know, all the situations on campuses, off campuses and communities, and, and, you know, most people don't even have a real clue about how, how extensive all of this is here and around the world. So I think the, the, um, the political uh, divisions should wait. I think there are too many people, many making statements, uh, some of which I, I personally know for sure are just not factually based. But they, they get media coverage. They, they try to grandstand. They try to shift the onus from any responsibility on them to others in a preemptive way and uh, and the accountability will come and i think there absolutely has to be and you know who will remain in power and not will be determined by it, this democracy and the systems they have in place but i think people it's not just about this it's about the the quickness of which for instance taking responsibility for the attack in lebanon when the government did not take responsibility when there could have been others and why why put the red flag there when it's not necessary, what we want.
Yeah, I hear that. Um, when I did the Tzviyachas Kelly interview in Israel, I asked him why the hostage deal, the most recent one, fell apart. And he said there's no incentive for Hamas to make a deal, which is unbelievable when you think of what they've endured from the Israeli army and air force, and they have no incentive to go back to the table. Now, another deal, of course, fell apart this week. Is it, in fact, for that reason? Uh, is there a lack of incentive among the enemy to actually sit at the table and make a hostage deal? Well, first of all, it's the leadership that counts. The people don't count. It doesn't matter. I think that many of the people in Gaza would take a deal today, would release the people uh, because, you know, they, they, they pay the uh, price yep. uh, for largely the leadership lives in Qatar. The leadership moves around the international sphere uh, with freedom and and with great wealth. And so the the targeting of the leadership in Gaza and their leadership in elsewhere, and we saw in Lebanon that they took one that's really not outside the region, but know that they're going to be targeted. It's like going after the Nazis after World War II, that no one should be safe who committed these kind of, of crimes against humanity. And the so the people themselves, I think, want to get back to life. And the hospitals are free. I th- I do not believe the numbers that they give out, and nobody should. You know, they've already dropped saying Hamas-controlled uh, government agencies giving the numbers, let alone UN figures. I mean, the UN becomes a, a credible thing after all the terrible things they've said and how they their institutions were misused and covered for the terrorist operation. So, credible facts is, is hard enough to people I'm trying to counter the the lies and how much influence the uh, internet and the mistaken reports have, especially on young people, but on older people as well. And the, and the knowledge of history, knowing the history of Gaza and, and you know, who, who lives there, who, who, how, how uh, the occupation of, uh, of Gaza is a lie. Yeah. That since 2005, and all of a sudden, people you tell it to people, and they look at you. Even government officials say, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that." And the um, so, I think you know, we have a big job. I'm, I'm very concerned about the long-term impact of this on Israel and Israel's standing. Uh, we already see the the um, defections along the edges, not surprising ones so far uh, in Congress. There's still overwhelming support for Israel and to provide Israel with its needs. But the longer this goes, the more erosion you'll have. Uh, and and you, you just alluded to the United Nations earlier and amazing how their institutions, as you said, you know, have been covers for uh, – for terrorist operations and terrorist locations. Uh, I mean, just just to point out, you know, talk about institutions that have a certain charter and have completely ignored it. Between the United Nations and the Red Cross, we could, yeah. we could not possibly be more disappointed in their performance during this entire um, three months. And the Red Cross especially, you know, you, you'd think that they'd at least try to fake it, that they had some type of humanitarian concern for the hostages that are being held by the enemy. And they, they can't even fake it. They can't even show the world, you know, in, 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 what's, in what might look like a sincere way that they have any concern with what's happening with the Israelis being held. When you refuse to take the medicine from the prime minister, the head of the Red Cross, and seek to get it in to people, uh, one of the hostages who die or need, I mean, uh, it's, it's vital for their survival. And not even to take it, as you said, and say, look, I'll make an effort again. Right. It will be. There's no, and, and the, the UN agencies, now they're people, I listen to them being interviewed, and especially on NPR and, and the news hour at NPR, and the viciousness of the reporting there, the one-sided nature 
of the reporting and people who contribute should, should really just listen and, and think two, three, five times before they give again to, to, to them and others, uh, and, you know, stations that generally are sympathetic, I think, to, to the thing, but have reporters there, even Jewish reporters in Israel that are, are hostile. I saw ABC, for instance, has people who give balanced review, reviews and, and uh, accounts, but so many of the others do not. And and it's it's worse than anything that I've seen before, where they you know just look for the the sensationalists and to find people in this breathless reporting about the uh, with in, interviewing people who they have no idea whether valid uh, accounts or not, and yet they they do it daily. Yeah, no question about it. I uh, did you think in the next couple of days? I don't know. Next forty-eight hours, seventy-two hours, there might be Qatar, United States, Egypt that will get uh, uh, Hamas back to the uh, hostage negotiating table. It is, after all, thirteen Shabbatot now that they're being held. It's it's hard to imagine what these people have been through. It's hard to to know how many lives to the brutal behavior that they've been subjected to, and. The, you know the um, uh, so I, I the truth it's it's it as soon as I think about them, it, it, I'm I'm paralyzed because I, I can imagine the terror and the horror that they have experienced, and the uh, so it is it would be interest of any government of any normal government that feels an accountability, but their leadership doesn't. It's not in their interest. And, the, the, and the Egypt for and, them and Egypt, the U, U.S. Nobody could Qatar at this point. Nobody could change their mind. Look at the look what the, what these little I won't use the words of uh, describing them the Houthis are doing to international shipping. They're a peanut. We should crush them. They're cockroaches, and they should be dealt away with. That you know, a couple key strikes in 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 Yemen would eliminate their capacity to carry out these attacks. The fact, the brazen nature that they even go after it, the the warships and the and and continue their activities. Unab- virtually unabated and continue to send rockets and and, um, uh, and drones, armed drones again in, into uh, where American and international warships now are, are are stationed, and we took out three of their their boats, uh, and and I'm saying and I this goes back to the days of President Obama. I said they will not do anything in retaliation. They're they're chicken. They just exploit the weakness. They know that they can get away with it. When they can't get away with it, they'll stop. And there really has to be, and I, I credit the United States with going after some of the leadership in Iraq uh, who, who are attacking American troops, take with great pride how many times they've, they've carried out assaults. Uh, and it's, it's well over 100 times, maybe even 200 times that they've attacked in various ways American troops and wounding some. Uh, and we have to, the only answer is to hit them back and hit them back 10 times harder than what anything they do. If you those countries will have to take action to to limit them. They're not incapable. I think we're going to see from Lebanon more hostility now in the in the wake of the killing of Al-Uri and others. That there, if Iran will give the signal to Hezbollah to escalate. Remember, all of these things are being manipulated by Iran. The Houthis are an Iran operation. The Hezbollah, Hamas, the militias in Syria and Iraq. So one day the answer has to be to take care of the of the the source of the terror and the supporter of all of this terror, which we've talked about on the show for 15 years yeah. and warning about it. Even more. 20 years, certainly since the late 1980s, uh, uh, with almost 40, 35 years. 
and 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 we could have stopped all of this. They're the source of, of so much of this terror. It doesn't mean it wouldn't exist at all, but it would not be, Hamas wouldn't be Hamas and Hezbollah, not Hezbollah. And you see the weapons they have from China, from all these other places, the support they get from Qatar, from Turkey, from others. Um, you know, there are actions that could be taken. And then we see it translates in, onto the American campuses where Tens of billions of dollars from these foreign sources, from Qatar, from China, from Turkey, from Iran, are poisoning our campuses and and dictating not only the, the students. You know that they get scholarships. These these countries get scholarships when they give money. And it, Qatar alone, uh, it's estimated, gave $13 billion that we've traced. And there's much more. It's never disclosed. There's no taxes. There's no accountability. And yet they dictate not only that they can send in students who are not qualified there, you can be assured they're sending in propagandists that that they also dictate faculty in many cases and influence what happens on the campus. There's a direct correlation between foreign funding and increased anti-Semitism. So we have to understand this is a, a worldwide threat and to to the countries that where they're operative, and we have allowed them in America to go unabated, un, unchecked, and continue. It continues today. Oh, we only have ourselves to blame. With the explosions, the double explosion in Iran during that memorial service, so immediately there was speculation that it must have been uh, done by Israel. And then one of the terrorist organizations, I think it was Islamic Jihad, took responsibility for it. Is <laughs> what's what's going on? Are they are they, are they uh, at odds with the Iranians at this point, uh, where they would want to disrupt uh, a gathering like that with uh, with explosions? Well, this is typical of ISIS, and it's atypical of Israel. Where would does Israel ever strike an event? Where plain people, who weren't even leaders there, you know, who were who were go, largely who went to pay tribute to this other murderer who built this whole infrastructure of terror, Soleimani, yeah. uh, on his uh, the fourth anniversary of his uh, of his elimination by the United States, and um, and and I never tweet, but I've started because there has to be some place where at least some factual comments. And I said that you look at how the, the quote, pro-Iran lobby guys jumped into this. Trita Parsi, Vali Nasser, uh, guys who, who had great influence in governments and stuff and work now today for, for uh, institutions, right away jumped in that uh, Israel's responsible. Right. As well as they, they did on, on some of these other attacks because they want to take the emphasis off of Iran and that Iranian officials could have done this themselves, but more likely, and, and when ISIS takes credit, believe them. I mean, why would, why not? It certainly fits their MO and, and they had two suicide bombers supposedly there. It will clarify, but I, I would bet that there will be a lot of truth to, to that claim. And yet the immediacy with which they blame Israel, and you have to credit the American government said there's no evidence that Israel was involved, and uh, and also, by the way, said that there's no genocide. And I think this guy Kirby, who's the spokesman for the NSC, ha- has been amazing, has, and Miller from the State Department, uh, better than some of the officials in <laughs> putting things into context and standing up and defending Israel's right to defend itself and to, to do what it did, even even if they can you know, criticize from time to time. But he's been amazing in in uh, in saying it. Now, I want to start a, a program where we pay tribute to the people who have stood up for Israel and stood up for 
for the Jewish community in this critical time. You see how they're rushing to the defense of, of the president of Harvard now, despite the fact that she plagiarized everything. And if just had been a plagiarizing and if she had been white, what would they have said? I mean, the president of Penn who resigned was white. And yet they're saying now it's all racist, that it's, uh, you know, uh, finding every excuse under the sun rather than accountability and, and saying this is, and she resigned. She quit. She wasn't fired. Did they put pressure on her? No doubt. But she quit, and and she could have done these same things, fighting for, against it if she had wanted to. But I guarantee you, there are many more cases of plagiarism than than has been revealed. Wow, interesting. Um, you mentioned Iran earlier. Um, what, what about the theory that the reason Hezbollah is is, is not um, participating yet to the degree that they could? Uh, and you just said because, you know, Iran gives the instructions, they give the directives, and, and if Hezbollah does get involved, it's going to be, you know, something, it's going to be a directive coming straight from Tehran. Uh, what about this discussion going on that Hamas acted in a rogue manner without the permission of Iran, without the knowledge of Hezbollah, and therefore they're not, they're not anxious to go and, uh, you know, because of the feud-like atmosphere, they're not anxious to go and, and help them out, so to speak, by extending this war to other fronts. Is there anything to that? So th- there's a, a lot to it. First of all, there were meetings between Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas in Lebanon before the event. So to say that they didn't know anything, you can't build all this infrastructure without Iranian experts, without Iranian help, without Iranian money, and and money from other sources. It's probably true that they didn't tell them the date, that only six or ten people actually knew the date that it would take place, that many of the soldiers, not soldiers, terrorists who were caught, admitted that they weren't told until that morning or the night before during the night when they were going, but they had been training without knowing exactly what for, and then broke through and did not, I'm sure anticipated a much more resistance than they, they, they got. Right. And, uh, and, and yet you see also the parallel into infrastructure in Lebanon, one out of every three houses in Southern Lebanon along the border of Israel has a rocket in it. This is a, these are Shiite villages. There are dozens of Shiite villages in the South that were, which are sympathetic to Hezbollah or even if they're not, they don't have a choice. And they, they are ruled over by the, 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 uh, Hezbollah warlords. They, you know, there's a, a over a hundred thousand, maybe 150,000 missiles, which is five times what is in Gaza. And they have infrastructure, but the people of Lebanon in every poll overwhelmingly oppose a war, oppose Hezbollah, uh, feel that Hezbollah is bringing destruction on them. I mean, they're living with it day to day and see how much they drain and and how they endanger the opportunities Lebanon has. You know, the the oil rigs, the the um, digging on oil, how long it was postponed because they wouldn't allow a deal with Israel. And finally, Israel, with all the concessions, didn't bring security along that border uh, with Lebanon. The opposite, they wanted to uh, target the rigs. And I think they were told, you target the rigs, you can all forget about every tall building in, uh, you know, within eyesight because nothing's going to remain if they start uh, going. So another side, in this case, really wants an all-out war. Israel has a lot of resources and people there, but it's very hard for a two-front, let alone a three-front or with, meaning in Yudun Shomron, where their preemptive actions, I think, prevented uh, more actions. But but they found, Israel's found, 
that they had identical plans on the Lebanese border to invade, to take two army bases, to kill the people there, to take over, take hostages from the communities, the cities along uh, villages and, and towns along the border. And you know the tunnels that they built, and many of your people, I'm sure, have seen it, as have I. They're so elaborate, so unbelievable. And and the best thing I saw was that the Israeli soldiers put a mezuzah on the door of the tunnel, you know, as a reminder. But but it goes and it, they dig it straight down, so you can't even find it unless you hit the exact place where it is, and determine that's where the tunnel is because it first goes all the way down and then goes across, whereas most people build tunnels across. Uh, so and and they have. Inside, electronic equipment, air conditioning, also communication systems, as they did in many of the places in Gaza. So all of those who are critics of Israel, why aren't they answering why they didn't use this money to build shelters, to build up the hospitals? And then look at all the money, the billions of dollars that went in that finally one or two Arab people and have started to tell the truth that – that the electricity, they didn't pay for electricity, they didn't pay for water, they didn't pay for the wood, and much of it came from Israel. A significant percentage of the aid came from Israel every day, even though electricity, it's like 10% water the same, and yet they blame Israel for for their failure to build the infrastructure, to build desalination plants, and all that denying the people of Gaza. It's not Israel that did it. Israel is out of there. Israel gave them the opportunity, just as they destroyed the the greenhouses they left and all the infrastructure, they destroyed the whole place because their goal is to have a terrorist base, not to benefit the people. Look, they live in luxury. Look, the best example is the Abraham Accord countries. They, uh, they have a surplus of money. Look what they did with it. <laughs> they, they built a uh, an incredible infrastructure. They have all the luxuries you could imagine. They make sure everybody's employed. They make sure everyone has the money they need. There has been so much aid and so much assistance from around the world to the people of Gaza. Forget for a moment everywhere else. The people of Gaza, imagine what they could have had if this was handled responsibly. But the United States, the UN, and others just, you know, and the Europeans give money, and they don't. Nobody monitors anything, and if they think they are monitoring, they really aren't because they're being outsmarted, and this is what ends up happening. By the way, with what you just described regarding the situation in southern Lebanon, we know, we know this from accounts that we've had on the air this week uh, that they're moving people are moving back to communities in the south. Thank God the army and the government have allowed that, and some of the communities are you know, getting the majority of people back. Um, the Sterot Yeshiva, we sort of celebration is that uh, reopened in Sterot. They have been displaced like many others, uh, just as an example. Um, is it going to be much longer up north? Is it going to be much longer before the refugees from the northern part are going to be able to get permission from the IDF and government to go and, and move back home? The evacuees yeah. uh, are, are uh, um, and they're not refugees, they're not out of their the right. land. They've been moved away from their homes. Right. And they've been doing it for their protection. I mean, it easily could have been left in place, and then Israel just have had to operate around them or uh, or disregard them, which is what the enemy would have done. But that's not what Israel does. And and um, so I do think it'll be a, a quite a while, especially because of the new, more targeted approaches which uh, Israel is using and going after leadership and because uh, they have destroyed a lot of the infrastructure that was the the um, target of the, and yet Israel also still has inside <clears throat> inside um, Gaza a huge capacity they, they've withdrawn several divisions and and uh, demobilized a, a group so that they could go back to to work and will rotate people in and and you know to help the economy get functioning again 
But there's still the capacity in the country is very great. And the the Air Force is continuing to take the actions it, it needs to when called in. And uh, God willing, we will see that the, they get the hostages and that the pressure continuing will continue in Gaza. Life can't go back to normal for them. They will they will have to, you know, say once and for all, they don't want any of these um uh, they don't want the Hamas there. They still enjoy support, although they should enjoy more support in the West Bank than amongst the people on, who have to live under their uh, terrible rule and, and uh, dictatorship. Yeah, well, Washington has this fantasy that the PA is going to go into Gaza and uh, deal with it responsibly. Nobody in Israel well, that I spoke to felt that was realistic. They haven't done it in in, uh, in, in, in the areas under their in the areas under their control, and just look what how much Israel found, and what would have happened had Israel not gone in preemptively, destroyed the factories that were making weapons, take confiscating large amounts of weapons, arresting hundreds of the terrorists associated with Hamas, uh, and and uh, with Pij, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad we would have had another front. And so we would have been fighting in Gaza, fighting in Lebanon, and we would have had to protect this in the core of the homeland area in the center of Israel, where you would have this very vulnerable border and with all of those weapons and terrorists. And we still see people, you know, periodically carrying out, uh, trying or attempting to carry out outrages. Uh, But hundreds and hundreds of them were arrested and are in jail today, which has prevented that kind of uh, ter- tragedy. Very true. Uh, everybody continue to pray for our hostages, 13 Shabbatot in captivity, and of course continue to pray for our soldiers. Uh, the um, the results so far of this war have been uh, a, a too large of a number of fallen soldiers. We pray for their families, and of course we pray for the safety of those soldiers who are still out there defending the state, land of Israel, and Jewish people all around the world. By the way, Malcolm, we should note the passing of Rabbi Tisheau Solomon. Um, you always appreciate great rabbinic leaders who are affiliated with one organization, yeshiva or group, but have international and global influence, especially in a very positive manner, and I think you could put him in that category. Absolutely. It's a great gloss for Claudia Israel. He was... Uh... A singular individual who had great influence on many people, let alone uh, certainly in Lakewood, but far beyond it. And I remember when he when he first came, uh, the anticipation uh, of his arrival and his the role that he he played um, really was remarkable. Yeah, to say the least. Um, thanks so much for joining us, and let's hope for a peaceful week and a victorious week, and have a wonderful Shabbos. And, and call- people, don't give up. Remember in shul, demand that they say to Mishaberach, demand that they say to Hillam for, for that every young person understands the connection and why that these guys are fighting for our survival. If people don't understand that, after all they witness on of, of the cities of America after this these last weeks, if they don't understand what's at stake in this, then it's it's on them. It's it's got to be, and we've got to know that this is a, a war for all of us. It's all climate Israel around the world. It's in Europe. It's everywhere. Literally, even in the smallest Jewish communities, are coming to us and telling us of, of things that are happening and harassment and and uh, discriminatory actions against them. We to even taking off Jews off a JetBlue plane because the weight imbalance. Seriously. 
three Jews, they, they switched seats, I guess, because maybe they, they weren't sitting next to men and women, whatever, but they didn't do anything that people don't do every day on, uh, on flights, which was to just switch seats. They didn't take, disrupt anything. And, and other passengers said it and they, and the crew got angry and, uh, and demanded, and they were taken off a JetBlue flight. I think people who have taken on JetBlue are thinking of it should let the company know that we're not flying on an airline, which allows that kind of an anti-Semitic behavior. Unbelievable. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a good Shabbos, and we will speak, please God, next week. Malcolm Holine is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every era of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Shmos. With Parshas Shmos, we begin the second book. And interestingly, the Ramban calls the book of Shmos Sefer Hagolos Vagula, meaning the book of the exile, and it's the first one of the Jewish people, as was told to Avraham at the Brisbane Absorim in chapter 15 in Bereshis, the Geriye Zaracha Be'eretz Lolohem, that your descendants are going to be strangers in a land which is not theirs, Fa'avodum, and they will next be enslaved, Fe'inuyosam, and they will be persecuted for 400 years, and then they will go out with great wealth. So we have the implantation of the prophecy that was given to Abram Avinu and <clears throat> the important part of the book is that really Shmos could have, should have been one of the shorter books of the Torah. Namely, the parsha of Shmos is... The, this, the Torah describing how Paro sets and puts into motion our becoming slaves and Hashem choosing Moshe at the burning bush and a good part of the parsha is Moshe's resisting to go to Paro not wanting to slight his brother Aharon. Moshe is away from the people, the slaves, for 60 years that he is in Midian. And Aharon was there maintaining the spirits and the belief of the people. Moshe did not want to hurt his brother. Hashem assures him that he will come to greet him and Hashem is assuring Moshe that Aaron is going to be genuinely, genuinely happy for his younger brother and will harbor no ill will as, quote, his being passed up. So, next week's Parsha, you have seven out of the ten plagues. In Parsha's bow, the last three plagues and the preparation 
before and the actual exodus from. In Parshas Peshalach, you have the incredible miracle of splitting of the Red Sea. And then we have in Yisro the purpose of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to receive the Torah. And if you wish, the Mishpatim as well. But really, the book could have ended there. Comes along the Ramban and says, no, that until we have erected and constructed a sanctuary in the desert, until that time we have not come to complete Geula, complete redemption, namely not just a physical but a spiritual redemption as well. In the very beginning of Pasha Shmos, we find that Paro is neurotic, concerned about the Hebrews joining against them should another power come and uh, attack Egypt. So Paro is implementing the scheme of killing first the Jewish boys because, after all, he was told by his astrologers that there will be born to the Hebrews a man who's going to lead them out. So Paro addresses the Mialdos, the women who were the midwives, and tells them that in the process of helping the Jewish women in their act of giving birth, they should use their skills to kill the Jewish boys at that time. The Torah tells us that the midwives defied Paro's request, and literally they gave life to the boys. Who are these Mialdos? Who are these midwives? So the Torah tells us in chapter 1, verse 15, the name of one of them was Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua. Now Rashi tells us who are these women, Shifra and Pua. Shifra is really Yocheved, Moshe's mother, al because Mishaperes is Havlad. She was the one who literally cleaned the baby and made him beautiful. And more than that, says the Baal Haturim, the reason why she was called Shifra is because when, God forbid, a baby had trouble breathing, she would insert a tube, which is in Hebrew, Eshfoferes, and have the tube down into the baby's uh, stomach and would blow fresh air and literally revive the baby. So whether it's the fulfillment of that 
they gave life to, she gave life to the baby boys, or she cleaned the, the baby boys. That's why Yochebed is called Shifra, and the second one is called Pua, and Rashi tells us this is Miriam, Moshe's sister, because she uh, comforted the babies, she calmed them down, poo poo poo, as only women can, and therefore this was the dynamic duo of mother and daughter. Asks Reb Yeruchim Levavitz in his Sefer Das Torah. Wait a minute. If we know their names to be Yochebed and Miriam, why does the Torah call them Shifra and Pua by their actions? And he comes out with a very profound idea. And the idea is that a name represents the essence of a person. Just like the Torah teaches in chapter 2 of Bereshus that Adam gave names to each of the animals and it's not as if he had a book with the names arranged alphabetically and random. He said, you're a zebra and you're a dog and a cat, etc. No. He understood the nature of the animals and gave a name which reflected that nature. Similarly, the Torah is calling Yochebed and Miriam by their actions which are on the surface, quote, small actions, but yet these small actions define them as, quote, big people. Now, a big thing that a person might do naturally gets recognition, gets recognition from others and gets recognition from oneself. There's a sense of a very good feeling when a person does something which is big. However, small things are not noticeable. Oh, and the small things, if they are done for the right reason, they're done for truly altruism, done from the goodness of one's heart, this defines the individual and transforms that person from a small person to a great person. The late Rebdovid Kronglas Zachor Lavracha, the Mashgiach in Ner Yisrael, said that a small person occasionally does a big thing, and a big person constantly does small things. The Torah is teaching us a very important lesson, that it is the small things that make a big person. Now, be it small, quote, mitzvos, I don't mean qualitatively, but when those that are done 
Bahalton, those that are done secretly, quietly in one's kitchen, the Afrasha Schala, the pots and pans and silverware plates that we eat upon, Tvilas Kalim, these are all things that are, quote, relatively small with no fanfare. This is what creates Kedusha in the home. Yaakov Avinu goes back for Pachim Ketanim, for small little items, because to Yaakov they are so important, realizing that all the small things that he has was given to him by God as a gift, and therefore he taught us not only, quote, we don't book that special gift, quote, in the mouth, meaning that we treasure all the small things. Now this is especially important for us to remember. The Jewish community this past Wednesday lost a giant within the Jewish community, Rav Matasyo Solomon, the Rosh Yeshiva of the great Yeshiva in Lakewood, and he was a person who was involved as a clow person. He was selfish, selfless, involved in the tzibur. He was into, quote, everything. He was into individuals. He was into Jews in Russia. And he literally was one who was able to influence communities and individuals. Rav Matisyahu clarified matters of Musar and Torah to thousands and thousands of people, and through his insights, knowledge, and love, influenced so many. What is the Indian of Kavod HaTorah, he would ask? Among other things, by us showing Kavod to a person or to any other matter of Torah, we are machshir ourselves by our showing kavod. We enable ourselves to become influenced by that person, to receive a hashba'ah influence from that person or from that matter of Torah. He practiced what he preached. By his giving kavod to others, he became a person of kavod that influenced us. I can tell you that what does it mean to understand that Talmud may be Lite Maisa, that the purpose of studying is to refine our character, to do those, quote, not only big things, but small things. Aside from his duties in the yeshiva, Rav Matisyahu involved himself in communal matters, 
also with people, with individuals. A number of years ago, there were a number of high school girls in Lakewood who were unfortunately not accepted into any school. Rappapatisyoho made a call, Kore. He made a pronouncement that no girls' high school should open for that semester until these girls were placed. Everyone listened, and the girls were placed. Such was the respect and love that the Lakewood community had for the Mashkia. May we continue to be the Talmudim of the great Rosh Shiva, and by our being involved in the community, but our taking the needs of individuals by doing what appears to be small acts of chesed, we can learn to imitate him to become a very great person. Shabbat Shalom to all.
In the AM with Mordechai Ben David, Uvioma Shabbos, and Keladon from the classic Just One Shabbos album. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to a Friday era of Shabbos, candlelighting at 422 in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are. It's Erev Shabbos, Parsha Shmos. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Shvat is on Thursday. We'll talk more about the Nativot Rosh Chodesh uh, service coming up on Thursday. Um, early next week here at JMNAM. Has concert is Sunday night. Looking forward to greeting everybody. It is sold out. Information about the live stream, it is hasconcert.com, H-A-S-C concert.com. Tuesday night is the Chibuk event in New Jersey at the um, at the Bellworks uh, Arena, if you will, in Homedale, New Jersey, to benefit six partnering organizations in a millions-of-dollar effort to set up funds for those victims of terror and their families that are going to be in great need over the next few years. Information to donate and to be there for Tuesday night's event, chibuk.org, C-H-I-B-U-K.org. That's how you get the uh, information. JM and the AM, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Great weekend programming, including Mark Zamek and the Arab Shabbos show coming up at 10 a.m. Eastern time right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by Kedem all day long. Erev Shabbos final hour brought to you by Kedem at about uh, 3.15 this afternoon Eastern time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami. 
and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler on uh, Sunday. It'll be Matis with JM Sunday, and Matis has a special guest this coming Sunday, and that will be um, Hasidic Hipster Girl, very popular on uh, Instagram, social media. Hasidic Hipster Girl is going to join uh, Matis this coming Sunday uh, between 7 and 9 a.m. right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And, of course, Monday morning we're back. We'll be on our New York City studio and then uh, continue through the week with some special guests all happening, as you would imagine, here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, more coming up on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody. It's the uh, one and only Avremo, Avram Fried at JM in the AM. Life is a mountain we must climb We don't have forever just the time he gives us Get to the top if you can This is the challenge of man Yes, you might fall and tumble down Sometimes that happens when you dare Knowing you, my child You'll pick yourself up Start again from there Keep climbing Don't let nothing stand in your way Keep believing Pay no attention to what they say Up is where you want to go It's dark and lonely Down below Keep fighting This is one fight you won't regret Keep believing You've got what it takes Now don't forget Dark. 
standing still But there is a way when there is a will Touch the divine Continue to climb Keep climbing Don't let nothing stand in your way Oh, keep believing Pay no attention to
Erev Shabbos Nigun done by Joey Newcomb. Avramo before that. 422 Candlelighting in New York. Make sure you know when things start where you are again. 422 Candlelighting in New York. Again, make sure to start, or I should say, make sure to figure out and find out when things start where you are. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys at JM then.
Achenu Yisrael and Achim Echem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Our listeners sponsor digital radio around the world. We're AchimSegal.com and the AchimSegal Network, and of course, the beloved NSN app. Mazel tov going out to Atara and Shua Stern of Edison on the birth of a baby girl. Mazel tov to the grandparents, Iris and Betzalel Stern and Nechama and Elliot Rosner. We say mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed our JM AM broadcast. One hour from now, it's Mark Zomach and the Arab Shabbos Show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem with amazing music all day long. And, of course, as we mentioned, the Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Matis JM Sunday on Sunday with Hasidic hipster, hipster girl, his special guest, Matis, live between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time this coming Sunday. We'll speak to you, please, God, on Monday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos. Wonderful weekend. Pray for our hostages. 13th Shabbat in captivity. And pray for our soldiers who are fighting for the Jewish people. Uh, Till Monday, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.